Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Hey, how's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode where a bunch of us content creators come together and let you know what we've been playing recently. And we've been playing some cool stuff recently. And on this episode are of Dyson Men, Mr. Rao Ransom Reviews, The Meeple Dungeon, Meeple and the Moose, Dice and Dragons, The Bridge City Board Gamers Community, and Cardboard Conjecture. And as always, please take the time to have a look at the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And as I say all the time, please enjoy. Hey, Chad here from Of Dice and Men, the podcast where we talk about board games, the people who play them, and the culture surrounding the hobby. What I've been playing the past few Wednesdays is Vagrant Song. Vagrant Song is a much sought after 2021 release published by Weird Miniatures. That's weird with a Y. It's a boss battler in the same vein of Townsfolk Tussle and Kingdom Death Monster, where you play as characters put through several encounters against overpowered bosses in the hope of progressing through the campaign. Where Vagrant Song differs is its theme. Each player is one of six available vagrants, characters who find themselves aboard a ghost train of sorts, trying to get to the next town. Unfortunately, that same train is haunted by several different haints, and you take it upon yourself to restore their humanity through combating rituals. Vagrant Song first caught my eye with its wonderful artwork and presentation. Not unlike Townsfolk Tussle, Vagrant Song features the same old-timey rubber bandy cartoon style, but is also augmented with a haunting color scheme. It also uses acrylic standees, which seem to be a component that more and more board games are using. I don't really paint my minis, so I prefer games that use full art standees, and these translucent standees for both the Vagrants and the Haints look amazing on the board. Also worth mentioning is the unique theme of the game. As I said earlier, you find yourself on a ghost train, coming across all manner of haunted enemies. Each one has a unique style to it, expressed through its abilities and rituals, and Weird Miniatures has published some excellent narrative to go with each one and fit them into the lengthy 20-game campaign. From a gameplay perspective, Vagrant Song has a few unique aspects to it. The first one I appreciated was the action selection mechanic. Most of these boss battling games have each player perform an action and a move on their turn, but Vagrant Song gives players a bit more flexibility through its coin allocation system. Each character has the same five basic actions, as well as up to five unique skills and items they can place their action coins onto. In that, you can choose to take three different actions, or overpower one or two of your actions by placing more than one coin onto it. Each ability is augmented by the number of coins placed, allowing you to perform one big attack or improve your chances of success through allocating more effort towards the action. The game also requires you to select your actions before you execute them, which lends towards a bit of strategic thinking. Another unique twist in Vagrant Song is the way damage is dealt. Health in the game is represented as humanity. It's a quality that your characters have, and the haint doesn't. You save each haint by restoring their humanity, but you take damage by losing humanity yourself, 
eventually becoming a westward ghost if you lose all of it, but still staying in play. This gives the neat side effect of all your skills and items being used for both damage and healing, only restrained by who the skill allows you to target. Each character potentially playing the role of healer mixes the dynamic of the group up quite a bit compared to other dungeon crawl-esque games, and gives a lot more flexibility when planning out each turn. The Haint's turn occurs after each player turn, and is decided by drawing a token from the Bindle. Each Haint has its own unique list of actions based on the token you've drawn, giving each boss its own personality and keeping the gameplay fresh. In addition, there's a cycle effect that gets applied once you draw a certain number of any type of token, which not only mixes all the tokens back in, but also usually triggers an extra ability on the Haint. Players can also draw and keep tokens from the bindle, adding a neat element of control and the ability to somewhat guess what actions the Haint may have coming up based on what's already been drawn. In addition, each Haint in the game features a set of three rituals you can optionally complete while battling. The rituals themselves are generally quite vague, like get the Haint to look out the window, and are mostly resolved through various event tokens scattered throughout the board. You can think of these like battle goals in Gloomhaven or Townsfolk Tussle, although they're shared with the entire group. The rituals give neat little side objectives that mix the game up from being a pure hit-the-boss-until-it's-dead game, and completing them generally helps you finish the battle sooner and gives you additional benefits in between each encounter. All that said, Vagrant Song didn't really land with me the way the other boss-battling games in my collection have. It's a genre of games I quite enjoy, but I found there were a few small parts of Vagrant Song that I didn't quite enjoy as much as the other games I've played. My principal complaint could be summed up as this. Your characters aren't the star of the game. In most boss battling games, your character is a major part of the gameplay. You'll spend a lot of time gearing up, finding synergies between the inherent abilities and the items you have available, and generally discovering or embracing a particular playstyle to use. In Kingdom Death Monster, for example, you might have a melee heavy unit with lots of armor and some close range weapons that can do a lot of damage, or you could go ranged and make sure you can move as quickly as possible. In Townsfolk Tussle, you might get feats of metal that require you to wear as little armor as possible or gain a piece of unique gear that allows you to fly around the map. The amount of control you have over your character's direction and the reward of having that character do well in an intense battle is a lot of the fun of this style of game, or at least it is for me anyway. In Vagrant Song, the ability to customize and tinker with your character is quite limited. The end of each battle gives you the chance to gain a maximum of two skills in one item, and that's shared with the entire group, and that's also at a big cost to the other in-between actions. Unused skills and items are placed into a shared pool, so as you play, the opportunity for customization opens up a bit, but it's a slow road to get there. And the real Achilles heel of this approach is in the balance of the skills themselves. Without too many spoilers, the campaign of Vagrant Song has you making a choice between three paths early in the game. Once you finish one of the paths, you can then choose from one of the remaining ones, playing the levels you missed before. Eventually you get to the final boss and take them on last. While this is a neat approach, it comes with the downside of character balance. Because you can't guarantee the path that the characters take, you can't really scale the skills that they gain along the way. Giving them a big impressive skill at the end of the first path would make the second path really easy. Although there are a few big skills you gain while you play, they're mostly a mathematical balance between range, damage, and effectiveness. Something that restores 5 humanity might have limited range or require a 5 or higher die roll to activate. Through this, I found most of the time we acquired new abilities, I wasn't particularly incentivized to switch them out for the abilities my character was already using successfully. 
reducing even further the feeling of my character's customization or growth. And because you only get one or two skills at a time, you rarely want to swap out anything new with your character because you already have a system in place. Song has wonderful writing and interesting bosses and a lot of unique skills and cards and the like. Everything you'd want from a boss battling game. But I found as characters in this world, you are more along for the ride than anything else. I really enjoyed the presentation of the game and solving the puzzle of each haint's play through rituals and combat. But the campaign experience where my characters grew and improved through hours of play felt lacking compared to other games in the same space. I'd almost rather play the game as a bunch of random one-off encounters with random characters, where part of the puzzle would also include how to take advantage of my new character build. Because of that, I'm not sure it's a game that will have much staying power with me or my group. Well, outside of that, we have another podcast recording lined up for the next week or two where we discuss how to shepherd other friends into the hobby. You can catch that in our five-year back catalog of episodes by searching for Of Dice and Men on your favorite podcatcher of choice. Have a great week. Hey folks, Ryan here from Mr. Rouse Gaming Rants and Reviews, and welcome to another week of What You've Been Playing Wednesdays, where this week I'll be chatting out actually about two games this week. Kingdom Hearts Perilous Pursuit, published in 2022 by The Op, and Aqualin, published in 2020 by Cosmos, designed by Marcelo Bertocchi. Join the adventures in Kingdom Hearts Perilous Pursuit. Play as Sora, Donald, Goofy, Kairi and Riku as they journey through the various worlds to rid them of the Heartless. Players will need to collect sets of dice to take actions to protect each other, attack Heartless, collect items, and seal the door to save the each world. If players can save six worlds before any one hero loses all their health or any two worlds are overrun, they win. Kingdom Hearts Perilous Pursuit is a family-style game where the gameplay is simple, getting players into the action very quickly. On your turn, you roll the six dice available, trying to make sets of symbols that correlate to the different actions a player can perform. Attack the world boss, collect cards, protect yourself with shields, distract the world making them roll less dice, and of course, performing a special ability unique to the character being played. Players first need to ready their action by collecting the required amount of symbols during their rolls of the dice. After action is ready, then another of the same symbol needs to be rolled to set the action. Now once the action is set, a die can be assigned to actually perform the action. For each of the characters, some actions are easier to ready and set than others. The order in which these actions are laid out on the dual layer player boards is different for each character. If your character and another character at the table have the same action readied and set, you can assign action to each other's player boards to take the associated action out of turn. This is the key to the cooperative game to beat the, uh, each of the worlds. After a player takes their turn, then the world gets to activate, rolling a set amount of dice depending on which level it is, 1, 2, or 3, the die faces for the world will usually do something bad, causing players to either lose health, having the world gain more heartless points, lose cards, or something really nasty unique to each world if the heartless symbol is rolled. Play will continue until either the players have defeated six worlds in a standard game, five in a short game resulting in a win, or 
or one player is defeated, or two worlds have been lost, both which, both which will result in a loss. This is a fun family-style dice-chucking game that has the potential to overstay its welcome. In our experiences, the game takes much longer than the printed 45 minutes on the box. For this type of dice game where the turns are quick and frequent, I would have much rather had a game that lasts about 30 minutes on the high end. But the game is fun and many families will enjoy it for its simplicity, even if the rulebook could use a little bit more work in the editing department. All sorts of colorful sea creatures are swimming around the reef and gathering in schools. As soon as a jellyfish swims away, a starfish lands next to another starfish. The players try to form the largest possible schools before the reef fills up, with one player performing schools of the same color while the other forms schools of the same animal type. The larger the school, the more points it is worth when points are tallied at the end of the game. The player with the most points is the winner of Aqualin. Aqualin is the latest in the Cosmos two-player-only games lineup that comes in a small box and provides a big game experience. From opening the box to reading the rules, we were playing within about five minutes. As from the intro there, each player is trying to create sets of tiles in a continuous path that are either made up of the same color or same sea creatures. The bigger the sets, the more points. This is more than a simple select a tile and place it on the board type of game because at the beginning of a player's turn, they have the option to move a tile currently placed on the board as far vertically or horizontally as they want, potentially breaking up any groups that the other player was setting up or creating an opportunity to create a bigger set for themselves. It's this simple back-and-forth action that makes Aqualin so, so good. This will definitely rank amongst the top two-player-only games we own, even at the end of the game, the scoring seems to take just as long as the game itself. Kidding, kidding, but not really. The scoring does take a little bit of time. And that's what I've been playing this week. Be sure to check out my full overview, thoughts, and reviews of both Kingdom Hearts Perilous Pursuit and Aqualin over on my YouTube channel. Just search up Mr. Rouse Gaming Rants and Reviews. And if you'd like to follow my gaming adventures on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, just search up at Mr. Rao Gaming. That's M-I-S-T-A-R-A-U Gaming. Enjoy the rest of what you've been playing Wednesday, folks. Hello, everybody. It's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. This week, we have two games to talk about. What's the first game we're going to talk about, Anna-Marie? The first game we're going to talk about is Tranquility, designed by James Emerson, art by Tristam Rawson, and published by Board Game Hub and Lucky Duck Games. Yes, Tranquility. This is a game I did not know a lot about until you brought it home. And this is just a little card game. It comes in a kind of a four by four inch square cube. Yeah. Um, and it's a square little cards that come in this in this box. And so if anyone is familiar with games like The Mind or The Game, where you're secretly, or not secretly, but quietly playing numbered cards from your hand into certain piles or whatever, you know, as you can imagine. 
that's what's going on here. It's, it's a game about you're not talking to each other and you've just got a hand of cards and those cards are getting played down onto the table in various ways, um, but not uh, talking to each other while you're doing it. So you kind of have to read each other and play the game, uh, kind of reading each other's minds. But if you want to uh, kind of tell them how this works, Anna-Marie? Sure. I'm going to read the little blurb here. So the goal of the sure. game. You will attempt to find your paradise island on the good ship Tranquility. To do this, you will need to fill the entire 6x6 C-grid with island cards and have played one start and one finish card. You all win if you complete the grid and have placed a start and finish card, living out your days on an island paradise. You all lose if a single player can no longer play or discard any cards, causing the ship to be lost forever. Yeah, so you yeah. have, what are, the, what are the cards, 1 to 80? 1 to 80, so there are 80 yeah. cards so in the deck. So there's 80 cards, and, all unique. Yeah, and you lay them out, in a, um, or you're not laying, you're going to end up laying them out in a 6x6 six six grid. And uh, Yeah, and the, the, the game comes with these cards that you lay out as a border to give you a six by six grid it's it's really kind of awkward it and just kind of shows it's you the only way they could do it without providing a play mat yeah but this this is the type of game that requires a play mat they would just make things really it would be easy useful and, simple and clean yeah because right when you're doing this the cards are kind of knocking around and spinning around so i mean it's it's doable yeah um, it doesn't require deal, it but, but it would be nice it would be nice for yeah. sure so so this game um you're going there are five what you call finish cards. They have finish written on them yep. that get shuffled into the deck. And then um, then you shuffle all the cards. You deal out the whole deck to, to however many players. So it goes one to five. So getting 40 cards. Yes. Yep. And then once all of the um, decks have been dealt out, then you take a start one start card for each player that's playing and you each put it into your own deck. You shuffle it up. So every player will have a start card. Yep. But the finish cards could be anywhere. Yep. And then... Um, Without talking, you're going to start laying cards down. The one goal, at a time, one at a time, alternating. Yeah. yeah. So you need to lay them uh, from lowest to highest in ascending order, starting with um, your lower cards uh, in the bottom left and the highest cards in the upper right. So you can lay them out in any order you want. Like you could plop a 43 right in the middle of the table. Yeah, you, you kind of have to picture the grid in your mind because there's no lines on your table. No. Right? So you kind of have to picture the grid. So you could slap, yeah, 49 kind of in one of the center squares yeah. of the grid. Uh, but or you could also, if you had a, you know a number one in your hand, you could play it. In you want to put that in the bottom left as an automatic. Yeah, because you, you're the whole goal is to place from well, it'd be my right to left, your left to right, uh, numbers in ascending order. So if you, you if I had a number one in my hand, I'd want to put it up in that top right corner, which would be your bottom left yeah. corner, and we would want to move it uh, the numbers in yeah. ascending order from left to right in all of the different yeah ways. so you'll go ascending from left to right once you get once there's like at the end of that first you know row then the next card in the in the next row going up is going to be adjacent to that bottom so yeah. like the far right and the will wrap and the far left it wraps yes. thank you that's what i was looking for wrap yeah it'll wrap from side to side so the they'd be adjacent the will then connect with the 14 on the right and so forth yeah uh, a row up yeah so you're gonna lay out these cards not talking um when somebody lays the start card on the on the table whoever it is um you that's the only time you communicate you're going to have to between the the number of players that are playing collectively you're going to have to get rid of eight cards so whether if it was a two player yeah. it could be you know four and four uh if it was three player it could be three three and two like however you decide you want to do it and then no more talking <laughs> and then um 
and then you're just going to lay them out. Whenever you start to have cards that are getting laid down adjacent to another card, that's uh, so let's say I had a 43 in the middle of the table and then uh, another turn I picked up and I had a 45. So I'm going to lay that 45 right beside adjacent, uh, right adjacent to that 43. Yep. So there's a two point difference, like 43 to 45, two, right? Yep. So then I would have to discard two cards. Um, if I had a 43 and then I laid a 44, I would only have to discard one card. Yep. Um, now let's say I had um, a 41 on one side and then there was a gap in the middle and then there was a 46. So there's a total of like five gap in between. Mm -hmm. And I laid down a 44. I would have a one gap on the one side, 44 to 45. And then I would have a four gap or three gap on the other side, 41 to 43. Mm -hmm. You only have to discard the lowest gap. Yeah, you so see I would which only, one you're closer to yeah. and you go with that and one. And you would yeah. just discard one. Yeah. And so and you can never throw down a card if it were to force you to to throw out more than four cards. Yeah. But that way um, you, can you can't get into like weird scenarios. Because so you can't. Forces you to yeah. You're going to two cards. You're going to lose if you run through your deck. Right. If, yeah. Before the end of the game. So um, that's kind of it. And it's it's a neat little game once you once you've got the 36 cards filled like the, the six by six grid is totally full then somebody needs to have a finished card and they need to play the finished card down yeah that's another part of the win condition off, you win if you, you can't win. you lose yeah this game takes about 10 15 minutes at best to kind of play yeah. through so you can play a whole bunch of games of this if, if you like. ever can't play a card you have to discard two and then the yeah. other person goes and you just pick up you, every every time you lay down and discard you have to then fill up your hand to five yeah, it's a really fun one. This one is, yeah, and I, we really like the mind and we really like uh, the game. And this one is right in that same vein. So if you like those games, you will like this one as well. And there's a whole bunch of different modules you can add and to this, this and switch things up. Yeah, it has a lot of variants so you can make it more difficult. And it also has a, a variant that lets you play competitively. So you could, um, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah so okay. it's typically a co-op game, but you can play competitively. So it's neat that they, they added that in there. Yeah, so yeah, that's a fun Tranquility game. from Lucky Duck Games. We have one other game we want to mention. Uh, we're not going to go full into this, but we've been playing Mantis Falls from Distant Rabbit Games. This game is an awesome three-player social deduction hidden role game, hand management game. Sort <laughs> of. And um, so the premise of this one is that uh, you've witnessed... Um, some nefarious act happen and you're trying to escape the town of Mantis Falls and the the whole crutch of the game is that uh, one of you that are trying to escape because it could be you could play with either two or three players may or may not be working with the mob yeah and <laughs> so you're trying to escape and the whole while where you're not sure if you can trust everybody at the table and you're working together to get there and you might get <laughs> you might get assassinated. You might get dead. Along the way, <laughs> depending <laughs> on whether or not that role was handed out because you can get, at the beginning of the game, you get witness cards and assassin cards dealt out and there's only ever one assassin potentially at the table, but it might not be. So you might all be on the level. You might not. Really cool, interesting game that we are going to discuss uh, in a full review on our next episode of the Meeple Dungeon Podcast, episode 32, uh, which will be coming out later this week. So... Uh, stay tuned for that. But we got to run. We will see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hello. 
I'm Alex. I write board game reviews over at MeepleInTheMoose.com, and I'm here to talk about the games I played this week for What You've Been Playing Wednesday. The first game I played this week was Agricola by Uwe Rosenberg, released way back in 2007. Agricola is a worker placement game sometimes affectionately referred to as Misery Farm. In Agricola, you'll begin with only two workers and a wide open field. Each turn, you'll place your workers on action places to take the corresponding benefit or receive resources, all in an effort to improve your farm and to not starve. The term misery farm, I think, was derived due to the tension and stress that can be induced when playing Agricola. It can be difficult to try to balance your short-term goals of making sure your family is fed and you have food for the winter versus your long-term goals of trying to build a better house and get some kind of engine rolling. What really makes Agricola sing is that at the beginning of the game, you'll receive eight occupation cards and eight minor improvements. Each of these cards will give you benefits or they'll improve your actions in some way. Generally, the player who is able to find a great combo within these cards and really use these aspects to the full potential is the player who will win the game. In this game, three of us had similar scores at 13, 25, and 27, while the player who won had 55 points utterly crushing us. It almost felt like we were all vegetable farmers wallowing around in the mud while he sat in his stone castle chuckling with his sheep empire. Another game I played this week was Burgle Bros by designer Tim Fowers. Burgle Bros is a cooperative game released back in 2015. In Burgle Bros, players assume the roles of members of the crew trying to pull off a robbery. Players need to work together because if they don't, they'll be get caught by the guards and every single one of them is a dirty snitch who would rat each other out without a second thought. Burgo Bros has three floors set up at the beginning of the game. Each one is a 4x4 grid of tiles with wooden sticks dictating the rooms. On your turn, each player can choose to peek or move between these tiles, exploring each of the rooms. Every room has an effect. Some will have alarms that will attract the guard. Some will be secret rooms that you can, you can enter in through the walls. Some will be... Atriums and foyers, which are easier for the guard to catch you. You'll even find lavatories where you can find secret tools or lavatories where you can hide in the stalls to avoid detection by the guard. The goal is to find the stairs and the safe on each floor. And once you find the safe, you need to add some dice to that safe and roll the dice in order to crack it. As the game goes on, the guard moves more and more every turn. And the goal of the game is to crack all three safes and escape out to the roof with, with all the loot. Burgle Bros is one of my favorite cooperative games and one of my wife's favorite games of all time. Every time it comes out, it feels thematic and tense as we're all dashing around corners trying to make sure that we're not the ones getting caught by the guard. This particular game ended in success, although I could feel the frustration of one player during this game where the best move for him was just to wait around on the second floor out of the way so that the three of us could crack the safe on the final floor. It's mildly frustrating, but with a co-op game, everyone feels involved in everyone else's turn, making discussions and decisions that benefit the whole team. I love Burgle Bros because it feels thematic, especially if you have an accompanying soundtrack that you can put on during the game. If you haven't tried Burgles before, I highly suggest you give it a try. After Burgle Bros, some family favorites are broken out, like Crokinole, which I've talked about in the last two episodes in a row, and Dutch Blitz. Dutch Blitz is one of those classic games where it feels like every family has an experience, has a history with this game. 
In Deck Splits, each player has their own deck of 40 cards, 1 to 10 in 4 different colors. At the start of each round, each player will lay out 3 cards in front of them to create their post piles and then place a face-up stack of 10 cards, seeing only the top card, next to the post piles called their Blitz Pile. You hold the remaining cards in your hand, face down. Everyone shouts GO, and simultaneously players start playing cards to the center of the table in ascending order. So you want to place a 1 first and then move up to a 10 going through the numbers. Once a card is in the center of the table, it becomes available for anyone to play onto. So I could play my red 1, and then your opponent to your left could slam down their red 2 immediately on top of it. The goal is to get as many cards out as possible, and a round is over as soon as one player runs out their stack of 10 cards, and then they shout Blitz. Dutch Blitz is fast, chaotic, and a ton of fun, especially if players are of a similar skill level. Inevitably, during a flurry of activity, someone just has to sit back and laugh at the ridiculousness of it all. The last game I'm going to talk about today was The Crew, Mission Deep Sea. The Crew is a cooperative trick-taking game, and in this instance of The Crew, we were playing with a group that wouldn't be getting together anytime soon, so we didn't bother reading through the logbook and experiencing the story. Instead, we just played out a couple goals to the center of the table and and just played hands trying to achieve these goals. That's what I really enjoy about the crew mission Deep Sea as compared to the crew, the quest for Planet Nine. The Deep Sea version feels a little more casual or at least has the opportunity to be more casual as you could just deal out some goal cards and play this silly game as you're eating charcuterie and having a good time. Thanks for listening. My name is Alex McKenzie. I write board game reviews over at meeplethemoose.com and you can follow me on Twitter at Moose Meeple. Have a happy Wednesday. What up gamers? I'm Jason from Dyson Dragons. And today I'm going to be talking to you about Libertalia Winds of Gale Crest, published by Stonemaier Games. It's for 1-6 to six players ages 14 and above and plays in 45-60 to 60 minutes. Now you may be wondering where Julie is. Well, we've been very busy over the last couple of days with Easter. We're making some uh, upgrades to the game room. And also just with our regular day jobs, we have a lot of stuff going on. So unfortunately for the moment, it is only me uh, on this segment. Don't, but don't worry, you will be able to hear her thoughts on our video that's going to be released the day after this. So Libertalia Wins the Gale Chris is a re-theme because they changed up the theme a little bit. It's no longer just Pirates, it's Sky Pirates, and a reworking of the original Libertalia that was released in 2012. In this game, what you're going to be doing is placing crew members, well, dispatching crew members from your skyships to an island in order to bring back loot and hopefully be the pirate that at the end of the game ends up with the most doubloons. Now, different loots that you will acquire will have different effects. Different crew members have different effects as well. The way things will work is that you will place them on a tank on the table in a specific order based on their ranking. So it's gonna go up in ascending ranking. Now if there's ever a tie, depending on your reputation, the player that has the highest reputation will be the one that goes to the right as they're the ones that get to pick loot first during the dusk phase. What will then happen is the morning abilities will then trigger going from left to right, so lowest to highest. Then you go from right to left triggering any dusk abilities. And after that, you will then Bring your crew to your ship if you happen to have any nighttime abilities they will trigger at that point. There are also anchor abilities that will affect endgame scoring that will trigger at the end of a voyage. Now each 
voyage is a different length, with your first voyage being four days, and then the second one five days, and the third one six days. So there you have it, that's what you will be doing in the game. Now, what did I think of this game? I actually really like the uh, the components, the theme, I think everything fits really well. Julie and I enjoyed watching the game on tabletop with uh, a higher player count. Unfortunately for the moment, we've only been able to play this game at the low player count of two. Now there is a new two player variant that did not exist with the original game that came out in 2012. This is entirely new for this version. There's also solo mode, which we haven't experimented with yet at all. So really our thoughts and my thoughts right now in this segment are focused on that two player version. Uh, you have what is known as the midshipman tile, which plates is uh, goes over the second and third positions on the board. And if someone has their character to the left, so the lowest ranking character, the player to the right, uh, as long as they're to the right of the midshipman, you're gonna be able to uh, trigger. In effect, they'll let you discard loot. Can also happen if both players play two low ranking characters. The one that is uh, higher, unfortunately, loses uh, a chance at some good loot. So this is to balance the game out because it's really designed for three players with some uh, take that elements and ways to block other players. And while I did enjoy the way that it, it works overall, depending on the side of the board that you're playing at, there's the more friendly side and the nasty side. There's also a way for you to mix up the different powers between both sides. It's highly confrontational as a two-player game. Uh, every player has perfect information, which means that if you're able to figure out the best combo, and there is probably one mathematically, numerically correct combo to play, depending on the cards that are revealed, you'll then be able to automatically pretty much win the game. Also, if each player is playing uh, you know, the same cards all the time, the player with the, rep the highest reputation is going to benefit more. So I just feel, feel that a lot of the choices and strategy is very limited at uh, two players because it's really more of a heads-up style of game, and you're not taking into the, the larger context of more players, more cards, and people just seeing things differently and having their own strategies based on how they think the best way to win is. So without that extra level of randomness coming from players potentially messing up what you think your, your scheme is going to be and going in terms of a heads-up mode, it's just a little bit more confrontational than what Julie and I like to play. That being said, it's not a bad game. However, in terms of two-player games, especially two-player heads-up games, I feel that this falls short of other games that we'd rather play. Some of them being longer, some of them being shorter. Uh, in this case, there are a couple of Stormire games that are competitive that I would rather get to the table, such as Wingspan, uh, Red Rising, even though it's longer, Tapestry, those are just more experiences that we enjoy. The heads up, very combative, and take that nature of the game, depending on the side of the board and the way the cards come out, is something that doesn't really work for us. That being said, I think it's a solid game and something that a lot of people are going to enjoy getting to the table on their game nights. So, I think I've talked enough about the game, and with that being said, I'm going to remind you to keep playing games. <laughs> Hey there, it's Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, and it's time to have a look at what the Bridge City Board Gamers community has been playing. So, what you been playing, Bridge City Board Gamers? And uh, let's start off with Jason has been playing some Isle of Cats Explore and Write Ticket to Ride 10th Anniversary and Isle of Cats this week. I think there's a theme here, Cats on a Train. <laughs> Um, I've not played the, uh, the roll and rate before, but, 
yeah, Isle of Cats. What a very cool polyomino kind of uh, map covering collection kind of, yeah, it is kind of cool game. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, uh, a real good selection of games thanks to TuneCon, uh, which has happened just past, just recently. I uh, enjoyed Brian Boru, my Merchants of the Dark Road Kickstarter finally arrived and we got to try that out and he's got a little i'm just going to quickly bounce through because it's got a cons list of games so canvas bitoku marvel champions uh spirit islands arboretum wow yeah what a great bunch of games and you know what i am so glad that a game like arboretum made your list because it's it's just a little card game that causes so much stress for me yeah Draw two cards, play one to your tableau, discard one. When everybody can dumpster dive your pile. Yeah, no, I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I love that game. Uh, Marianne, let's see, uh, Cylon, uh, which looks like a very cool... Oh, this is the, the uh, game about uh, uh, thematically based on tea. Yeah, very cool. And uh, Kalua, uh, again with the... And I see King of Tokyo right underneath there, so... Wow, that's a very, that's a breadth of games, definitely. A Cylon. Wow, the artwork looks so cool. I'm gonna have, have a look at that. That's and there's a tile laying, tile laying kind of uh, hidden information kind of thing going on. So nice, nice. Moving on, Sarah. Betrayal at House on the Hill. Villainous smash up. Cool. Betrayal. I've not played that series. I would love to give that one a try. Um, Hans, too many to write down, so he put a screenshot. Ark Nova, Terraforming Mars, Tabanusi, Builders of Ur. Ooh, good Mesopotamian game, right on. Fields of Arl, Tea and Trade, uh, Merchants of the Dark Road, Stroganov, Praga Kaput Regni. There's, there's a, that's a, your brain must be just completely fatigued, man. <laughs> that's a lot of games. Cool, cool. And that's a lot of frontal lobe capacity going on. Travis, missed out on TuneCon, still have never made it, but got some plays done this week. Second ever game of Concordia, liked this way better on four than when I played it with three. Yes, yes, you need, well, if you play with smaller numbers, you got to tighten down that map so that you're like trying to, trying to move around in a hallway kind of thing. Uh, Maracaibo and tried out Lisboa last night. Only half the game, but seems all right. Uh, Lisboa feels like you want to do... Yeah, I'm reading this. Lisboa feels like you want to do 10 things, but only have time to do two. You are absolutely right on that. Absolutely. Our game is going super fast, but I'm sure it all depends on the meta of the group playing as well. With this kind of... Uh, uh, it's kind of like Great Western Trail. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of... There's a lot of decisions that lead into future decisions that you're not aware of. Uh, Scott, lots of Marvel champions preparing to start a new campaign box of Sinister Motives. I believe Ryan from Ryan Ransom Reviews uh, started the Sinister Motives, and I, according to the Twitter. Um, and uh, highlight of the week for Scott was the continuation of our ongoing D&D campaign in which our GM took us on a side quest of his own devise, and uh, which we were only part through, hugely looking forward to continuing it tomorrow. Right on, right on. As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, hey, I've got my session coming up. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, they get to meet a, uh, a freet, 
I'll let you know how that turns out. Uh, Eli, lots of unmatched, a little more monolith arena and dead reckoning. Mm-hmm. Unmatched is awesome. What a fun little skirmish game because everyone's unmatched. Uh, uh, Rebecca, played a lot of cribbage. Yes, I've been playing a ton of cribbage online on Board Game Arena, weirdly enough. And you know, once, you know what's so fantastic? It does the counting for you. <laughs> 15, 2, 15, 4, 15, 6. Uh, triple run of 3. Okay. Uh, Michael, sigh. Nothing the last few weeks. Life has been busy. Uh, bought into Sky Tier 100% and still fully up to date with Marvel Champions. Also bought Destinies to play with my daughter. Just need to get everything to the table once life calms down a bit. Yes, absolutely. Uh, can't wait to, for like group face-to-face -face gaming to happen uh, when everybody feels comfortable. That's the caveat there. Garth, I had a fantastic time at ToonCon last weekend. Learned Zaya, Legend of the Driss. Oh, that was you guys playing Zaya. Right on. Uh, Architects of the West Kingdom, the first time not on computer. Terraforming Mars, way better in person than on PC. Yeah, you just reinforced what I said. Cool. Uh, there you go. That's what the Bridge City Board Gamers community has been playing. And uh, myself, I've been playing a couple games I want to talk about. The first one is, uh, first of all, first one is a big shout out thanks to Ryan for uh, always pointing out how awesome this game is. And I've never, I've, I have it on my shelf and I think he knows what I'm talking about. I have, I've had it on my shelf since I bought Marvel Champions. I bought Marvel Champions and this game I'm going to talk about at the same time. And I finally got off my shelf now. So there's a, <laughs> there's a timeline context. Um, and that's Arkham Horror, the card game. And it is, now I have uh, the Lord of the Rings card game. I have Marvel Champions and now I have Arkham Horror which is that kind of trilogy. Um, Lord of the Rings is nightmarishly hard, <laughs> at least for me, because I'm not a magic player. I'm not a deck building kind of uh, like, I, I am, I am the, on the periphery of that, of that uh, card deck building culture. Um, Ryan, huge into it. I mean, he, Pokemon with his kid and he had uh, Dragon Ball and, and uh, yeah. And so, um, my brain doesn't understand the deck building part, but my brain understands and loves strong story. And man, Arkham Horror, I think I might have avoided it for a while just because of the whole... I'm not 100% bought into the whole Cthulhu thing, right? Um, but uh, this, isn't, this doesn't push the gas pedal on the Cthulhu. This pushes the gas pedal on horrificness and... Uh, I mean, you could just, you could, this could be supernatural thematically, you know, like the TV show in regards to uh, the occultish um, uh, um, thematic elements in it. And I, again, I've never read Lovecraft and that whole thing. So um, I, I, I'm loving, absolutely loving how the mechanisms with that chaos bag, because absolutely chaos reigns. And, um, yeah, the story, how the characters integrate. And it's not superheroes. They're just general people trying to figure, solve problems out and not lose their minds, right? I think that sounds like uh, uh, this is pretty much, <laughs> the, the, as far as the, the feeling goes, this is pretty much being a parent um, of uh, newborns. 
<laughs> so uh no i'm joking uh but yeah it's terrific for newborns when you open up you do diaper changes absolutely <gasps> spawn of satan um and uh so yeah I, I so much so that i went and i bought and and i, I hung back on on his recommendation that the uh, fantasy flight was bringing out those box uh complete uh, uh very much like how marvel champions is now putting out like this, the sinister motives and and the uh, uh, the Red Skull seri- campaign, right? They're doing, they're putting all of those booster sets into one. And I went out and I bought the Dunwich Legacy, and I can't wait to get into it because I am, I think, on my last um, uh, uh, scene on the core set. So yay! I am very very happy with uh, with Arkham Horror living card game and i can understand absolutely understand now um how the collection how the collector uh you just want to keep playing those stories different stories different stories so fantastic and i haven't even gotten into the uh, like i'm only on one character so i haven't even looked at any of the other characters and how dimensionally cool and asymmetrically wonderful they can be so yeah that's awesome the next one i really quickly want to touch uh touch on here is uh three sisters it's sitting right in front of me and uh this is uh ben pitchback and matt riddle um and they're a brand new uh publishing company called motor city gameworks i keep forsaking to say game works i always say games but no motor city gameworks and uh i was privileged to have the opportunity to uh, speak to matt and uh and uh talk to him about what I love about the designer series and it's and it's absolutely it's just for me because it's I mean I hope everybody loves what, what what's happening from it but uh me being a little selfish here I have questions that I want to ask from because being an instructional designer I love um I love watching the making of shows more so or just as much as watching the original shows right um, and I think that spawned when I was a kid and I fell in love with Star Wars and then they came out with, you know, hey, this is how we made this making of, you know, Empire. I was so engaged into that, which which is probably why I want to sit down and talk to creative people and understand their process. And probably the instructional designer in me is is, you know, trying to see how that works in education. But tangent aside, um, uh, I've got three sisters in front of me, and three sisters based off the idea of of companion gardening, uh, corn, uh, peas, and squash. And uh, it is, from the theme side, absolutely wonderful. Um, From the mechanistic side, it's very similar or shares the DNA of of, uh, Fleet the Dice Game. Um, and, And they've kind of let it, you know, metaphorically speaking, they've let it organically grow into what this is now and there's very big similarities and there's very big differences the the big differences i think are where they've put more attention and more influence in and i think in this in three sisters the shed which used to be um uh, in in uh, fleet the dice game where you had your merchants or your little you know your your peer sh- your dock shops your bait shop and all that stuff in here i think the shed thematically speaking, are the tools or the potential tools that can help you uh, successfully amplify the different areas of the board. And these areas are uh, the garden. The garden is predominantly where you're going to, you know, grow your points. And uh, then there's perennials. And the perennials, 
Um, I think they're very familiar with the licenses. As, as high as you push it, the more that that track will benefit you. And if you can ring the top bell, that's where the big victory points are because it's bottom line, it's a game about victory points. I love how they put, you know, in fleet, you roll it out and then you would draft the dice. There's, dra there's dice drafting in this game, but this game it applies it on top of a rondelle so that it, it gives you the ability to have two levels of actions, which is fantastic. And then, of course, the rounds and the seasons um, uh, coordinate so well with, uh, with every round having a little special benefit because ultimately this game is a cascading joy of feel good about how smart you are because <laughs> there's so many different ways that you can have things synergistically connect and um if you play this enough times you can you don't i mean you always care about the outcome how well you do but a lot of the time it's just so much fun seeing how different things can grow together again pardon the pun um uh, so yeah three sisters absolutely having so much fun with this game and the solo um, uh, on it is very th very well thought out and challenging, to say the least. Uh, so yeah, there you go. That's what I've been playing. And uh, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to what we have to say. And a huge thank you to the other content creators who collaborate all the time. Uh, in back of my head, I was thinking if I could get some alliteration going there, but I'd have stumbled over myself and fallen into the microphone. But uh, you know, no. Thank you so much to all the uh, the content creators who contribute every week and uh, make this uh, special weekly episode uh, special because it's all of us together letting you know how to spend your money. <laughs> um, no, actually, I'm thinking of games I have to go buy after reading through the list. Uh, so that being said, um, uh, I have one more thing to say to you. Keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh?